Y'all feeling a little good? Jack, can we bring the house lights up just a little bit? Good, good, so I can see everybody. Um, Justin, where are you, Justin? There you go, right there. Would you come up real quick? As we prepare our hearts for the message tonight, uh, as I was praying about uh, how we will begin our time, I just thought of uh, the powerful words of Amazing Grace. Justin, would you just lead us in the acapella version of Amazing Grace? And we, can we... I mean, we'll all sing. I just want them to start us off so we can, won't have pitch issues, you know. Some of y'all need that little extra help. I'm just trying to help you out, all right? Can we all sing that together, though? Can we sing that together, Amazing Grace? First verse, and if the Spirit moves, we may do like another one or something. But now, if we don't do it, and we think the Spirit didn't move, then way to set it up. All right, let's just do one verse, all right? And we may do one verse twice, if I get happy. All right, let's do it. Before we sing it one more time, friends, those words can become so, uh, just so, in, we, we, we can lose the feeling because it's, such, it's, it's a song that we sing so often and many times we don't even think about the words. This next time, if, if you don't mind, would you just close your eyes and think about the grace that God has so amazingly uh, overwhelmed your life with and begin to personalize the words as we sing it this one last time. January 23, 1994, I was sitting on the back pew of Sweet Rest Church of Christ Holiness USA there in Pearl, Mississippi. There on the back row, I knew that this night would be a night that would change the rest of my life. For you see, that morning uh, after worship service, we were having lunch at my parents' home, and my two best friends came to my house. They came to my house and while we were having dinner, and they walked in, and they had an announcement to make. So all of my family got up from the dinner table. They came over, and my two friends announced, this morning in worship service, we gave our hearts to Jesus Christ, and we are saved. We are Christians. And everyone in the room, they begin to celebrate. They begin to hug and begin to go around. And then my two best friends looked at me in my eye in the presence of all my family, and they said, two down, one to go. In that moment, I knew that I had a serious decision to make. 
that night as I went to night service. The preacher was preaching, but I must admit, I didn't hear one word that he was saying because the voice of God was so loud in my ear. Friends, I was sitting there throughout the whole service contemplating wrestling with God, wrestling, trying not to surrender my life, but knowing that everything inside of me was saying to me, you must surrender to God's grace and receive his love. So there, I was sitting there and I I, I said, okay, all right, I'm going to do it. The tradition in this church was after the sermon, I knew that he would turn around and face the congregation and simply say, if there's anyone here tonight who wants to give their life to Jesus Christ, who wants to be saved, come now and I'll pray for you. I knew that that was coming, so I knew then when he would turn to the audience, when he would turn to the congregation and provide that opportunity, I would have to stand up. So I made up in my mind and I was going to do it, but this is a black preacher, so it took him 30 more minutes to get to that part. I almost gave up. I was like, come on, God, but he kicked in. So eventually, 30 minutes later, he turned around and true to form, he says, if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, Come. Now, I was sitting back here on the back row, and I was sitting in the very back. Jet, let's bring up the house just a little bit out here. I, I was back here in the back, and I was walking. And as I was walking forward, uh, as more, the closer I got to the front, front, the more people could see me, and people began to, people began to clap. And as they began to clap, it got closer. Now, I could feel something coming up, and I, I was like, all right now, Lord, let's get a couple of things straight. This ain't about to be some emotional night. I'm just going to go up here and get saved real quick and then go home, have some coffee. It's going to be good. We're not about to have no big emotional breakdown. It ain't about to be no drama. Say that for the campaign. That's not going to happen with Albert Tate tonight, you know? So I'm just setting this up, and I'm walking, and I'm walking, and I'm walking, and the applause gets louder and louder and louder and as I get to the very front something happens as I pass that first row I literally stepped and friends I can feel it now like I did that night it felt as if it was 500 pounds literally lifted off of my shoulders it it, it was a weight that I didn't even know that I carried it was lifted off of my shoulders and I literally fell into the preacher's arms And the tears came flooding down my face. That night in 1994, I'll never forget it, the Lord, I felt his rescuing power, that amazing grace that literally saved, snatched me up, saved a wretch like me. Have you ever felt the rescuing power of God? Have you been destined somewhere that you knew you had no business headed there? It wasn't a desirable place. You didn't want to go, but you found yourself and you and you and it seemed as if your life had no other option. And you literally felt the rescuing hand of grace literally snatch you back to the place where God has designed for you to be. Friends, in our passage tonight, we find ourselves in Psalm 34. Psalm 34, which is a very familiar passage, David has just had this same experience happen to him. David is coming. Psalm 34, after being pursued by Saul, he goes and he takes refuge in a neighboring city. But there, this king, King Abimelech, finds David, finds out that he's there taking refuge in this city. But David is a, is a threat. They don't know if he's a spy. They don't know what his intentions are. So they capture David and they bring him in. And David here, easily facing potential death or, or, or prison time, not knowing what his fate is, David does this crazy thing that my two-year-old daughter does every night at about 8.30. David starts acting like a madman. 
uh, uh, parenthetically here, let me just go off course here. My, my little girl, she hates going to sleep. So at about 8.30, I mean, she starts going crazy. She hates going to bed. And the sad thing is every night we like pray together like before we go to bed. So she knows when we get ready to start praying, it's time to go to bed. So I'll be like, Zoe, let's pray. And she starts crying, no, 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 which is not what you want to hear when you're a pastor. You know what I mean? It's like, well, my little girl hates praying, so I'm going to try to move prayer up. But she hates going to bed, so me and my wife figured out, we just give her a little Benadryl every night before it's time to go to bed. She knocks right out. <laughs> so uh, so that, that handled that problem. I'm just kidding. Not every night. It's kind of once a week. So um, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, King of Bimelech. So David is there, and he literally, it says this, uh, it, it says this, he literally acts like a madman and goes crazy. And King Abimelech, really, in my translation, he basically says, well, I've got enough madmen around here. Ain't no point in me keeping you. You can go. So David literally breaks out of the hand of bondage by acting like a madman. Once again, in David's life, he has been rescued by God. He, his life has been spared by God. And out of excitement and out of the great joy of this newfound freedom, David writes these words. Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times and his praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Oh, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Verse 5. They who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man, he's talking about himself here, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who hear him, those who fear him, and he delivers them. Verse 8, I love this, when he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Verse 11, come, 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 my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, here it is, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Verse 15. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from, from the earth. 17. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Verse 18. Here it is. Listen. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord, but the Lord, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Fresh from the saving hand of God. Fresh from being rescued, David responds to this saving God with these words. 
It, it's this idea of celebration. I mean, you've got to hear it. You've got to hear the celebration even in that opening, in those beginning words. I will bless the Lord at all times. There's no way that you can be a dull, boring person and say that passage. There's no way. I mean, this thing, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make a boast. You can't do that. You, you get slapped if you do that at my church. You know what I mean? No, you can slap people if they say it. If they say it like that, it's okay. No, seriously, slap somebody. No, it, it, but it, 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 it provokes life. It's, it's natural. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes her boast in the Lord. Hear the energy. Hear the excitement. Hear the celebration. David, he responds to this God who rescues him with this great celebration. How do you respond to the God who saves you? How do you respond to the God who's rescued you? How do you respond to the God who spared you time and time again from the hand of the enemy, from death, from destruction? How do you respond to a God whose grace has been so amazing in your life? David responds with this celebration, but this celebration isn't some shallow celebration. This celebration is, is pregnant with, with great points, with great elements. As a matter of fact, there are three of them. Albert, why are there three of them? Because all preachers have to have three points. They tell us that in school, so I got three of them out of here. So there are three points that make up David's celebration. And my prayer today is that as we come together as a worship community, and as we consider how we respond to God, as we consider how we celebrate God, that in our lives we will see these three areas in our life. That's our prayer this morning, this evening. Let's pray. God, I thank you that tonight you would speak to our hearts. I thank you for who you are and who you've been. God, I thank you for what you're going to do tonight. I pray that your presence would show forth uh, in a mighty way in this place. And most of all, speak to our hearts. Stand in my body, think with my mind, speak through my vocal cords. God, you have your way. Speak like only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this passage, the first element of celebration that we see is this idea in verse 2. Watch it. It says, My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. The first thing that we see in David's celebration is this idea of community. This idea of community. He, he makes it clear that my celebration of God and my honoring God is not just about me. It's not just about my own experience, but it's about the community. It's about, it's about, it has to be, it has to be more than just just me or my experience. It has to go beyond my individual relationships. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make her boast in the Lord. And here it is. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Let the afflicted see and rejoice. As we praise God, as we honor God, as we celebrate God, it's not just not about me, but it's, it's David says that there may be someone who's afflicted. There may be someone who's hurting. There may be someone who's discouraged that'll see my celebration, see the wondrous works of God in my life, and that they would see that and that they would rejoice. That my worship would be infectious, that it would impact the people who are around me. As we come into a room this size, you've got to know that there are people who walk in this room, who've stepped in this place tonight and are on the verge of giving up. 
You've got to know that out of the numbers in this room that there are people who have walked in this place on the verge of throwing in the towel and saying, I can't take it, I want to give up on God and the whole show. But you've got to know that there are people who've come in and they've had the worst week ever in their life. But when we worship together as a community and when we come together and when we celebrate God, it is our hope and our prayer that those will see the glory, see the celebration, and the afflicted will see and rejoice that there'll be those who have come down but through the power of celebration and us lifting up the name of Jesus they will be lifted up it's kind of like have you ever got a phone call and and you were having just this terrible day have you ever got a phone call and 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 you were having this terrible time and, and the person on the phone didn't even didn't even know what you were going through didn't even know you were having problems but they just started in, in just just talking about the goodness of God or talking about life and they just had this joy on the phone and you hung up the phone and all of a sudden you felt better It's the same idea. David is saying, it's not just about me celebrating God, but it's about my ability to encourage someone who may be going through. My celebration is committed to community. Not only that, he says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. It's the idea of when we're doing worship, it's not the picture of us just coming in and us just doing worship and just putting out a free show. We want to just invite people in just to watch us. Justin, it's all about Justin, his guitar, and him worshiping God. And I just want you to watch me. No. This isn't some theater where you come in and have a, a box of popcorn and just sit back and hang. No, it, but, but, but just in, and, and as we lead and worship and as we come together, our cry and our plea is that, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, come, let us exalt his name together. This, this praise, this celebration should be infectious. Our goal is that we not stand here and do a one-man show but in the spirit of community that we will come together and begin to celebrate God with one another. Verse 8, I love it. He says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's almost as if he's saying, Y'all don't believe me. I see you're not convinced. I see you still don't fully comprehend what I'm saying. So here it is. Try it. Taste and see that he's good. You don't have to take my word for it. I've given you my testimonies in verses 6 and 7. I've told you how he, how he saved this poor man, how he delivered me. I've already explained that, but you're still not buying it. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It reminds me of when I was a little boy and I remember watching my mom. Uh, she'll, she'll be in the kitchen and she, she'd be baking and she... She'd be sitting around and she'd be at the house baking, and maybe some of y'all can see this kind of stuff. I don't know if you've ever seen the ingredients of a cake, uh, but she would sit here, and in the ingredients of the cake, I would look at all this stuff laid out on the table, and I would see all this stuff laid out, and I would say, there's no way in the world that all this nasty stuff can turn into anything that would taste good at all. That, there's no way in the world. Uh, let, let me see what we got here. We got all these ingredients. All right, like this right here. Let me see. Here we go. Butter. When was the last time you're sitting in traffic on your way home, headed to the house, and you're thinking, man, when I get home, I can't wait to have me a good old stick of butter, Jack. Man, whoo, I can taste it now. Boy, that doesn't happen. 
happened? You, you got, what else you got in the cake? My mom, this, she, this, this recipe calls for sour cream. Some of y'all may like sour cream. Not this guy. I'm not trying to eat no cup of sour cream. It ain't going down like that. Put a, a potato or something on it, you know. But I'm not, not going to eat sour cream. It's not happening, you know. You got eggs. Rocky ate raw eggs, but he had a stunt double. That wasn't even real. You know what I mean? <laughs> Nobody eats raw eggs. It just doesn't happen, you know. Uh, and let's see. You got, you got flour. When's the last time... I'm not going to do that. Are you crazy? Nobody does that. Nobody sits there. Oh, and you got, you got vegetable oil. And when's the last time you're sitting in traffic and you're like, oh, man, along with that stick of butter, a shot of vegetable oil, Jack. Yeah, that'd be nice. I didn't even know what a shot was until Scott White told me. I never even heard of a shot. I'm from Mississippi. You can, you can get shot. I didn't know you could take a shot. You know what I mean? But, you know, I just heard that about that. Talk to Scott about that later. But, uh, you know what I mean? It's, it's, like, it's like you have all of these elements. And I was like, Mom, how in the world can all this stuff come together and make anything good? And it's like as we look at our life, if we look at our lives independently of these other things, it, it's not attractive. Some of us, we look at the... The margin of our life. Some of us, we, we, look at, we look at the cancer, or we look at the struggle, we look at the death, we look at the financial struggle, and we say, God, how can this be good? In your scriptures, you say that you, you'll make it good, but how can this be good? How can this situation that I found myself in turn out to be any good? How can this circumstance be any good? We look at different things, and we look at it individually, and we, we get so monovision on that one thing, and we say, how can this be good? I know at church they say, trust Him, He's good. I know at home they say, trust Him, but how can this be good? There's no way that this thing can be good in my life because from my perspective and from my seed in my life, this, this situation can no way turn out to be good. I can remember sitting there watching my mom try to piece together the cake, and I'm like, all this nasty stuff, how is this going to work? Well, my mom knew something that her young boy didn't know. She had a mixer, and she'd take the mixer, she put it in there, and she put all the butter, put all these elements, and put it in one bowl. And she takes the mixer and begin to stir it up. And as she would stir it up, that butter that was just one little stick began to dissolve and it began to blend in. And the eggs begin to marinate, begin to blend in, and the sour cream begins to go in, and that, that chunky, those chunks of flour begins to kind of blend out, and that, that oil, which was one ex- once extremely thick, it begins to blend in with the rest. And all of a sudden, a transformation begins to take place. And friends, what I'm saying to you tonight is that God has a way of taking the, the, the issues, the areas in your life. He can take cancer and he'll take his hand of grace and mercy and stir it with the mixer of sovereignty and begin to work it out and it'll be for your good. He can take the sour cream of your life. He can take the financial struggles. He can take the divorce. He can take those worst things. You don't believe me? Romans 8 and 28 says, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. What about the divorce? God is working it together. What about the money struggles? God is working it together. What about the problems at home? God is working it together. What about the problems with the kids? God is working it together. What about the school bill I can't afford? God is working it together. He's working it together. He's working it together. And we know that all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the attractive, all things work together for the good of them who love the Lord. You know the best part of my mama's cakes? It wasn't even eating the cake. After she finished mixing it, she would take the mixer and she'd hand it to me. And she'll say, now taste it. Wow. 
it's good. And I can just see the hand of God. David, what he's basically saying is if you trust God, he'll take all these elements of your life and he'll say, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Friends, our worship is about community because there may be someone in this room who's on the verge of giving up. And you know how it is because last quarter you were in that same place. You were on the verge of giving up. And it's important for that person to hear your story, for you to be able to say, listen, I know it's rough right now. I know it's hard right now. I, don't, I know you don't know how you're going to see you're going to get through. I've been, I've been right there. I've experienced that. Trust me, it's bigger than the struggle. It's bigger than the problem. Hold on. Try and taste and see that the Lord is good. I know you're having problems at home. I know you've been struggles there with your mom and dad. And I've been there. I know what it's like. I've been there. I've had those experiences. Hold on. Trust him. Try him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We need each other as a community to encourage each other, to support one another, and to provoke each other to say, listen, I know it's hard right now. But if you just taste and see, God has a way with his grace and mercy and sovereignty to work it all together and he'll make it good. Somebody say, he'll make it good. Oh, come on, talk to me. Somebody say, he'll make it good. God will make all the stuff in your life. He'll find a way to work it and make it good. David goes on in verse 9. Not only must our celebration involve community, but it's this idea of fear. And, and, and reverence. Verse 9, here it is. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now, this is one of those scriptures where we can really get in trouble with this whole idea of lacking no good thing and lacking nothing. Because, like I've said many times in this room, there are many pastors who will stand in the pulpit and say that Christianity is all about this bless me, bless me theology. It's all about the stuff that you get from God. It's all about, you know, getting a big house, getting a big car, getting a big wife, you know. Well, not the last way if you're into that. I don't know. But anyway, it's like it's all about it's all about getting the stuff. You know what I mean? And that's not what it's saying. But but I couldn't help but take my mind back uh, a, a couple of Psalms to Psalm 23, where David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. This idea of shepherd is this, you, you know, the nature of a shepherd, the shepherd, his job is to protect, to preserve, to cover, to provide for. And David is saying, with the Lord as my shepherd, because of who he is in my life, I shall not want. Because God is my shepherd, I won't have to want anything outside of the shepherd, because the shepherd's job is to provide me with everything that I need. So when the Lord is my shepherd, and when God is in his right place then my wants are fulfilled because everything that I could ever possibly desire or want is found in the shepherd. It's found in God. I don't need to look for it in a man. I don't need to look for it in a woman. It's found in God. I don't need to look for it in career. I don't need to look for it in in overachieving in my academics. It's found in God. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. David says when you honor and when you fear the Lord, you will lack nothing. The question that I have tonight is, what do you want? Because if you find yourself wanting a lot of stuff, I will caution you to check with your relationship with the shepherd. Hello in here, somebody. 
Because we find ourselves in a culture where we always want stuff. I want this and I want that and we, I have all these desires. And, and I'm not saying that, I'm, understand what I'm saying. I mean, you need to want to eat. That's good. I'm not talking about that. You know what I mean? I want a hamburger after this service. I'm going to get me one. You know, that ain't ungodly. You know, the shepherd has said, go eat. And I hear him. Yes, yes, Lord. You know what I mean? But I'm talking about the stuff that you find yourself longing or here it is, lusting after. Did you hear what I said? Longing slash lusting after. Lust is way more than just sex. I know we like sex, but it's way more than just sex. You can lust after this lavish career. You can easily lust after money. You can lust after relationships. No, 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 no. I know you don't, you don't want the sex, but you definitely want to be held. You definitely want the, the loneliness to go away, so you lust, you long for that. You see other people in relationships and you find yourself hard to celebrate because you really want to hate. Because you really desire what they have. Hello and here, somebody. I want to speak to my single brothers and sisters in this place today. You got to be real careful with wanting a relationship. You got to be real careful with wanting a man or wanting a woman. And it's not even about sex. I don't, I don't need sex. I just read my Bible and roll over. I don't even need sex. That is not even an issue. Now, that was funny. Y'all should have really laughed at that. <laughs> if that works for you, it's cool, you know. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's not about that. You've got to be careful. Because you could find yourself being a believer. Jesus, you're my everything. But I really want a relationship. Amen, somebody? I know, I know, I can hear you. Albert, that's easy for you to say. You've got a fine wife and two kids. You having sex. And you're right. <laughs> Amen, brothers and sisters. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hold on. Let me praise him. Hold on. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Although, for those of you that are married and had children, I'm on an I'm eight-week time off. Yes, tell. We'll talk about that later, you know, the marriage retreat or something. Not tonight, but if there's a, if there's a men's group for that, I'd love to sign up. Is that... All right, okay, I'll keep going. Sorry. Uh... Shoot, what was I even talking about? Oh yeah, sex. So check it out. I mean, I want, to, I want to encourage you, be careful of finding yourself in desperate want. Be careful of finding yourself desiring outside of the shepherd. Amen? There's a couple other things David says. Verse 11, he says, come children, come, come. It's almost as if he's saying, come listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. It's like, you're not getting it, you're not figuring it out. Let me hear you. Let me, let me show you some things that will help you honor God with your life. Let me show you some things. Number 12, keep your tongue from evil and your lips, and your lips from, from lies. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from lies. I couldn't help but think of what my grandmother used to say. If you ain't got nothing good to say about somebody, don't say nothing at all. I know for some of y'all that means y'all got to walk around like this. For some of you, that'll be good. Maybe you talk too much. It's this idea of saying, be, be, take control of your mouth. If you want to honor and reverence God with your life, have control of your mouth. It's almost like a little boy. I remember when I was a little boy, my mama, she, you, know, you know how as a kid you kind of have, you kind of say stuff, but you say it inside your head, and it's not supposed to be said outside your head, but sometimes you forget to hit the inside your head button. You know what I mean? It's like my mom was like, clean up that room. And I was like, I'm so stupid. And she was like, what you say, boy? And I said, did I say that out loud? 
Like, dang, I forgot to hit the button. So it's like, it's like this idea of having control of your mouth. Because, friends, we can really tear down each other with our lips. We, we, we can really tear each other down. Have you ever been discouraged about what you heard somebody said about you? Raise your hand. All right, now here's the kicker. Have you ever said something about somebody that if they heard it, it would be real discouraging? Tell the truth. See, friends, people will commit suicide over words. No exaggeration. Trust me. One of my best friends committed suicide just three, four years ago. People will give up hope. People will walk away from Jesus Christ because of your words. There's power in what we say. I don't, I don't want to overdo that, but I'm telling you, I've sat with, a lot of, uh, with enough people in my office who have been hurt and bruised by Christian people and what they said to know that we can do some damage with our mouth. God says, if you want on me, take control of your mouth. Don't speak evil. Don't lie. Don't deceive one another. Next one says, here we go. He says, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. I love this idea. It says, turn from evil and do good. Friends, sin is serious. And sin is very real. And you cannot experience the full joy of living for Jesus Christ when you are still actively pursuing sin. Hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying uh, that you will be without struggle. I'm not saying that you will walk in this life of perfection. Uh, that, that only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm saying we will have struggles. We will fall sometimes. But I'm talking about those who will come to this place, honor God with their worship, and leave and actively go and pursue sin. Actively go and pursue sin. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Actively go and pursue sin. I mean, while we up here preaching, you send in the text message, baby, I'll be there in a few minutes, get the bath water ready, and you ain't married. Hello. Did he just go there? Yes, I did. I'm talking about actively pursuing sin, saying that this is a part of my life just as well as my Christianity, and I want to mix them all in, and I'm saying it don't work, it don't work, it don't work. It ain't the blender, baby. It's not going to mix in. You have to live a life that's separate, that's set aside. It's not a popular message, but it's a real one, and it's biblical. You cannot live the fullness of the you can't live in the fullness of the joy that God has for your life when you are actively pursuing sin. Do y'all hear me in this place tonight? That he, he, David says you have to turn. If you want to honor God, you got to turn from sin. Got to turn from sin. Justin, come here. Stand, stand right there for me. I want you to be sin, okay? It's not a stretch. All right, okay. It's this idea. It's just a joke. Loosen up. You're so sensitive. Warehouse people. All right. So turn right there. Now listen. It's this idea of turning, but this is, don't do what I did. I struggle with this. It's, it's not a 360. It's not sin. I'm turning away. Sin. Sin. How you doing, baby? I miss you, sin. Ah, you know what I mean? It's not this idea of 360 where you find yourselves in a cycle going back and forth. Many of you, as you try to give up certain things or you find yourself active and saying, you say, I'm going to give up and I'm going to turn right. But you find yourself turning right back around and it's this cycle that begins to develop. I'm not talking about this cycle. David says you have to turn from sin. Turn your back on it. And I love it because it says don't just stay here. Don't just stay here with it because it's still close. Because he can still whisper in my ear. Whisper in my ear. See, sin is still there. Hit that. 
And it's like we can still go back and hang out with each other. He says, no, uh, uh, Matt, would you be good? Is that why the front row is empty? Yeah. Go over there. Go stand in front of the little table, the milk cartons. Don't eat nothing. <laughs> Trust me, that's been out. That's, that's his fourth service. You don't want to touch that. <laughs> All right, so it's this idea of turning from evil but pursuing good. I remember in 1994 when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, uh, immediately we started like this little Christian rap group. It was called Straight Flavor. And we was running around, and, and me and my best friends, we were in this Christian rap group, and we would go around and we were rapping at churches. And here I am, I just got saved. I just know Jesus on a first name basis. I don't even know his last name is Christ yet. He's just Jesus. And I'm just, I mean, I'm just, I'm just kidding. That was a little joke. Loosen up. All right, so it was like, I mean, so we, we just getting started, but here I am, this young baby Christian. I'm still on Similac, because that's on my dresser. I'm still on Similac, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm going around, and I'm preaching to young kids, and I'm telling young kids about Jesus. It was this idea of me turning from the evil, but pursuing good. So here I was, like, hip-hop, it don't stop. Jesus is a solid rock, don't knock. Yeah, you know what I mean? But I, I just made that up. Y'all for that or something, you know what I mean? Jeez. That's what you call freestyle right there. But it's like I came and I was pursuing good. It was hard for me to still be entangled with evil. Why? Because I, my hands were busy doing the work of God. If you sit in this room tonight and you find yourself in that cycle of evil, that cycle, every time you turn around, you're going back to the same sin, I would challenge you, go do good. Find an organization. We have many hubs that are involved in communities, feeding the homeless, going out. We have a Mormon ministry. We got all kinds of activities going. There's plenty of good work to be done right here in this community. Leave evil and do good. Don't hang out with Justin. <laughs> it's just an illustration. Don't be so sensitive. Lift your head up, buddy. Come on. It's this idea of taking your hands and going and working and doing good. Let's give good and evil a hand. Good job, guys. Thank you. Finally, 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 finally. Celebrating is this idea of community where we encourage one another. It's this idea of fear and reverence, a reverence for God that impacts the way that we live, that impacts the way that we live. And finally, here it is. It's a celebration that gives us the freedom to be broken before God be broken. We talked a little, about, a little bit about this. You know, our culture, th this is something that goes totally countercultural to how we believe. 17 and 18, look at this with me. It says, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are, listen to this, crushed in spirit. Ah, we, we, don't, we don't hear that. The, the, biggest, the biggest computer company out right now is Apple, and what's, what's their main mantra? What's their main theme? I. iPhone, iMac, iPod, iSick, i. You know what I mean? It's like, it's all about me. Burger King says, have it your way. It's all about having your way, and our culture is consumed with making us comfortable. Our culture is consumed with it all. It's all being about me, and that's okay. Even watching the Olympics. Watching the Olympics, y'all, it was exciting, but I'm not going to lie. Some parts were really depressing. Because you see people who had devoted their lives for some even eight years to winning the goal, there to come all the way to the end to get in that moment and just to slip and not win. 
to slip and just lose. Lolo Jones, this young lady who was a track star running the hurdles. Any of y'all see that race? Here, Lolo Jones running in front of the line, getting it, gets to the last hurdle, slips and loses. Not first, not second, not even third place. She didn't even get a copper medal, dog. She didn't, didn't get nothing. She falls. How depressing. But you know what? Nobody, nobody cares about who gets sixth place. This guy, what's the guy that got eight medals? Michael, Michael Phelps. Who, who won third place? Y'all don't even know, do you see? And that's third place. You mean you number three in the whole wide world? I think that deserves an interview or something. He should be on early morning, a Today Show or something. Let him say hey to his mama or something. Give him something. He just went on a long vacation to China. You know what I mean? That's it. No interviews, no write-ups, nothing. We don't even remember the guy. Even sixth place. I mean, even, even third, they get the little silver medal. What about the guy that's sixth place? He's number six in the freaking world. That's, that's amazing. How many of y'all know their name? Not one race. Not one backbitten. I'm not sure if that should be there anyway, but that's my own personal deal. Batman? But anyway, it's like we celebrate number one. We celebrate the goal. Nobody applauds you for fourth. Nobody says, fifth place, let's throw a party. No, it doesn't happen. Because our culture is consumed with the one who's the strongest, with the one who comes first. But in 1992, it didn't happen that way. 1992, many of you have heard the story about Derek Rettman. Derek Rettman changed the perspective of Olympics, at least for that year. Derek Redman was running a race. We'll see it here. It should come up on the screen. Derek was running a race. After preparing for some four years, like everyone else, here it was. Here's his moment. He, like everyone else, was running for the number one spot. Everyone giving all they had, and Derek committed to winning this race. He's running. And all of a sudden, something in his leg pops. And the last four years of training, I'm sure, flashed before his very eyes. And all the other runners, oh, they're finishing the race. First place, second place, third place. And we look back to Derek, and Derek has gotten up. And he's limping to the finish line. He's made up in his mind, I started this race and I'm going to finish it through the pain and all. And the attention begins to go off of the guys who just won the goal. And people begin to notice this limping Derek Redman trying to finish the race. His dad gets up out of the stands and runs to his son and begins to carry him and run with him to the finish line. I'm sure his dad says something like, son, we started this race together and we're going to finish it together. And in that moment, the crowd stands and applauds. The Olympic professionals, they come, they come and they, and, they, and they try to pull Derek's dad off. They say, sir, this is the Olympics. You can't be on this track. This is the Olympics. <laughs> and, and what Derek's dad says to him, I can't say in a church service. But they go and they finish, and for the first time ever, the cameras, the focus, the applause didn't go to the one who finished first, but it went to the one who finished last. Derek will become famous for his weakness. Friends, God is drawn close 
he's compelled, he's attracted to our brokenness, to our weakness, and our celebration. We've got to have the freedom to be broken and to be weak before God. Because we've talked about this, only in, his, only in our weakness will the Father's strength be made perfect. Only in our weakness can we fully experience the Father's love. The Father's love that comes all the way from Calvary, comes right and walks with us and says, you will not finish this race alone. It's too hard for you. It's too painful for you. You can't walk this race alone, but your heavenly Father has come, and I will walk this race with you. What got him here? What brought him here? Our weakness. Our brokenness. I close with this statement. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. All the king's horses and all the king's men. You, you ever thought about that? All the king's horses and all the king's men. You ever wonder why didn't they call the king? Why are they fooling around with his horses and his men? Why not call the king? He needed to read this next passage. David, Psalm 34, 19. Here it is. Listen. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. David says, listen, you will have pain. You will have unexpected trials to hit your life. The righteous will have many problems, but the king will deliver you from them all. The king will deliver you from them all. Friends, as we think about the amazing grace of God and how he's rescued us, how do we respond? How do you respond tonight? My hope and my prayer is that we celebrate him for who he is. And in that celebration, we consider community. We tell our, we tell our stories of how he's brought us through because there may be someone sitting right next to you who desperately needs to know that God is good because they're looking at the margarine and they can't see past the issue and they need to hear from somebody who's had it work together in their life that God can work it. I pray that as you consider your response, you would consider the community around you. Secondly, I pray that you would fear God, not in a trembling way, but in a way that causes you to consider his honor and his glory and your responsibility to that with the way that you live. That you don't live a life of sin knowing that it will, it will not honor God and you will not experience the full joy that you would take control of your life, that you will fear and honor God with your whole life. And finally, that you will have the permission and the freedom in this place tonight to be broken and to be weak. Because unlike the Olympics, God doesn't give out medals for first place. He doesn't give out prizes for the strongest. But he's consistently, through Genesis to Revelation, desperately attracted to the weak and the brokenhearted. So I pray that as you celebrate, you will be weak and broken before God. To his glory. Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. And tonight, as we worship you, may this celebration be our response to your glory. 
May this celebration be our response to your saving grace. God, help us to be weak before you. Help us to be broken before you. Help us to live lives holy before you. Help us to live a life in community that provokes our brothers and sisters to your glory. God, it says over and over that the righteous cry out. Tonight, God, we cry out because you are a good God and we love you. We celebrate you. This is our response to the rescuing hand of God. We celebrate you. In Jesus' name.